the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Because a marriage is not a ceremony. A marriage is what takes place after the ceremony. And some of you, you, you've done something at some point in your life. And maybe it was a step toward God. and Maybe it was a good attempt. But it was a ceremony in your life after that moment has not changed. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. And we're at Romans chapter 11, and we're continuing the series, Truth, Intention. And I want to ask you this. Do you ever struggle with things that you just don't understand? Do you ever have questions that you can't answer? There's some of those that are big, and actually I, I stumbled across a few of those, like this one. Is the opposite of opposite the same, or is it opposite? I don't know. Or this is, a, this is a conundrum right here. Why is there a fridge light, but there's never a freezer light? Have you noticed? It's dark in the freezer too. Does a staircase go up or down? I don't know. Is there another word for a thesaurus? <laughs> or why is a manhole round? I mean, I kind of take offense at that. Why do we call them buildings if buildings are already built? Why don't we call them builts? If you decide to be indecisive, which are you? Here's a good one. Russell, when you forget a thought, where does it go? I don't know. Or how can you describe something that's indescribable? That's kind of what we're going to try to do today. We're going to tackle a a, a passage of Scripture, a chapter in a book in the Bible that a lot of preachers never even go into the book because it's it's a hard book to understand, to dive into. The book of Romans, a book of soteriology. What does it mean to be saved? How does God save us? But a lot that go into parts of Romans never make it to chapter 11 because there are some things that are seemingly kind of hard to understand. They, they create questions that we wonder if we have the answer. They, they describe truths that seem to be intention. But the Bible's full of that, right? Like this one. Jesus is 100% God, but he's also 100% man. Does that work? Or the Bible is God's word. It's perfect and it's true. We use words like it's inerrant, which means it doesn't have error. It's infallible. It doesn't contain falsehood. And yet, it was written down by sinful, imperfect men. 
Or, or how about this? God is sovereign. He, he's never caught off guard. Like I like to say to you, has it ever occurred to you that nothing ever occurs to God? I mean, he's never surprised. He knows what's going to happen. And yet, the Bible tells us that we have free will. We have a choice in the direction that our life goes. So what do we do when truths like these seem to be in tension? Listen to how Romans 11 ends. That's where we're going to start at the end. Romans 11, verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Sometimes when you look at the things of God, you just need to understand there are truths that may be too deep for us. We're not God, right? It's okay that there's some mystery that we embrace. I, I want a God that's bigger than me. I, I don't want a God that I can fit in my box. The depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. But look at the next verse. Who has known the mind of Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? And then this verse, for from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Which just means, so be it. What is God trying to communicate to us? I think you need to understand something as we dive into a hard chapter in the Bible. Here it is. It is impossible to understand everything the Bible teaches us about God. But that's okay. Because life is not about us. It's all about him. He doesn't owe us an explanation. He can say, trust me. And then we have to determine whether or not we do. What we know is how this verse ends. It's kind of a doxology, a praise to God. And what does it say? It says that he is the source of your life. If you don't get anything else, understand this. Everything that's good that you enjoy it comes from God. You're nothing without him. He is the source of your life. But not only that, he is the lasting sustenance for your life. That's important that you understand. As we talked to couples this weekend, even pastors and their wives, you know what I told them? Guys, don't forget, there's only one person who will meet your needs 100% of the time, and his name is Jesus. But he never fails. He'll never let you down. He'll meet your needs 100% of the time. My God shall supply your needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. Isn't that good, church? He is our sustenance. He is always giving you enough grace. But here's the next thing. It says they were created for him. He wants his will to be the sole purpose of your life. He wants what he wants to guide what you want. And so as we dive into this passage of Scripture, that's what I want you to think about. Am I living my life according to His will and His way and in step with His Word? Now, as you look at Romans chapter 11, Paul begins by asking and answering a big question. He does this throughout Romans. We've journeyed through Romans for several months. And regularly, we found that Paul will ask a question as if he's asking something that you're thinking and then he'll answer it. That's what he does in Romans chapter 11. 
let me just say to you, and especially to our students, our, our college students, but regardless of your age, God's not intimidated by your questions. When you go through the hard things of life, some of you are walking through some difficult stuff. He, he's not taken back because you ask him to explain himself, to describe what he's doing. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. And so today as we jump into this, I'm, I'm not going to talk down to you. Because here's what I've learned. If my daughter, an elementary school student, if she can learn math, and, and on top of that, it's a new math. I don't even understand it. And, and if she can learn science, and if you high school students, if you can learn algebra and calculus and geometry and chemistry and biology, why would we not dig into the deep parts of God's Word? Is it possible that as a church, maybe it's a time that we try to understand these truths that we find in Scripture and not be content just living on the surface, feel-good thoughts that get us through? So you may have noticed in our church, we pray a lot. If you're new around here, that, that may seem different to you. That's kind of a statement in itself, isn't it? We assume that you expect that when we come to church, we're going to talk to God. And we actually think that you might would expect that we would teach you to help talk to God too. And so we pray a lot. And I want to pray once more, but I want to pray for clarity and understanding as we receive God's word in these next few moments. And then I want to pray that God would change us because of this time. So Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Here we are. Speak. We're listening with our hearts and our minds and our hands open. We say, Teach us, Lord. Give us what we need. And as we're learned in Romans 12 in the coming weeks, we need to be conformed into your image. We need to be made different. So operate on us, Lord. Oh God, I pray that you would save someone because of these next few minutes. God, I pray that a church member, a person who calls himself your child, It isn't living for you. I pray that that will change in these next moments. And Lord, I pray that my words will be your words. And my thoughts will be your thoughts. 
And I pray that all this will take place for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans 11, verse 1. I ask then, here's the question, did God reject his people? The Apostle Paul is referring back to an Old Testament promise. We find that promise in Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12 is where God promises Abraham that his people will be the people of God forever. He says things like, look at the stars in the heaven. Just like you can't count them, you'll not be able to count your descendants who are my children, my people. Look at the sands in the desert around you, Abraham. Just like you can't count every speck of sand, you can't count those that are going to come in your line and be my people, the children of Israel. And so here we are now. Jesus has come. He was crucified. He was buried. God raised him from the dead. He's ascended into heaven. The church is now formed. And Jews are rejecting Christ. And so Paul's saying that God's plan fell. Did he not accomplish what he promised Abraham? And he answers it clearly in these next words. He says, by no means. Say, by no means. And then he gives four proofs as to how we know that is not the case. Number one, he says, let me just tell you what I know. This is what I know. Look at the rest of verse 1. I asked then, did God reject his people? By no means. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. So Paul is saying, I know God's not dead. I know God's not done because of what he's done in my life. And here we learn something really important. Your story is the best proof of God's work and his existence of anything that will take place in your life. Paul is saying, does God still work in the lives of Jews? Yes, because that's who I am. We have more of his story in Philippians chapter 3. Listen to what he says. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, check. People of Israel, check. Of the tribe of Benjamin, check. A Hebrew of Hebrews, check. In regard to the law, a Pharisee, check. As for zeal, persecuting the church, check. As for righteousness, based on the law, faultless, check. Paul's saying, based on what I know, God did not reject his people. And the principle here that applies to you and to me is this. When it comes to God's existence and God's work, the greatest proof you can offer the people in your little corner of the world is your story. So I want you to think about your story right now. Because you either have a story with Jesus or you don't have a story with Jesus. There's a flow chart to your story. It begins like this. Before Christ. Before Christ, I was what? Before Christ, I was an addict. Before Christ, I was a, a terrible husband, or, or before Christ, I was a hellion, or before Christ, I struggled in fear and anxiety all the time. All of these things that are a result of sin in our lives before Jesus comes into our life. But then something happens. We encounter Christ. That's what the Bible teaches. You, you don't just say you're always a Christian. You encounter Jesus. Jesus said it's just like your birthday. On the count of three, I want you to tell me your birthday. One, two, three. 
March 22nd. Oh, I just slipped that in a little late because it's right around the corner. But uh, we all, <laughs> just kidding, we all have a birthday and we know it. We don't, we don't wonder when our birthday is. And Jesus said, in the same way, you have a spiritual birth. For the Apostle Paul was on a road. He was traveling, persecuting Christ's followers as a Jew. And Jesus himself appears to him, blinds him by the glorious light that he shines. And Paul becomes a follower of Christ. I want you to think about something right now. When did that happen for you? For me, I was seven years old. It was in the backyard of my parents' house. I had heard all about the gospel because I had grown up in a Christian home. I'd been to church. But it was at that day that I understood I was a sinner. My sin had to be punished. Jesus took my punishment. And because Jesus took my punishment, I could be forgiven and I could experience his grace. And I asked Jesus to take my sins and to come into my life and to take control. You have to have a story like that if you're a Christian. So I want you to think of when it was. I don't know the exact date. I've slept too much between now and then. But I remember the moment. That needs to be the case with you. If you can't remember the moment, if you don't know when that was, then you probably should think, have I truly encountered Christ? Because the story continues. Before Christ, then I encountered Christ, and then since I encountered Christ. So if, if you have some of those before Christ stories that I mentioned a while ago, that should change when you encounter him. So you're no longer an addict. You no longer abuse others. You no longer struggle with the same things that you did. That's your story. And that's proof of the existence of God in your life. And you should be able to say like the Apostle Paul, this is what I know. But he didn't stop there. He also said, this is what God knows. Because the rest of that verse in verse 2 says, God does not reject his people whom he foreknew. Now, this is where it gets complicated because it reminds us that God knows who's going to reject him and who's going to accept him. And that's really spelled out in Romans 8, that chapter that we love in the Bible. Look at Romans 8, verse 29. For those God knew, foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among the many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What does that mean? It simply means nothing in our life, nothing in this world surprises God. He knows. He's sovereign. That's hard for us to understand. That's why two weeks ago when we were talking about uh, this biblical truth and the truth intention, I said, imagine yourself walking into heaven. And as you're coming into heaven, going through the gates, if you were, you're going to see this sign. And it says, whosoever will, come on in. And you come on in and you're looking to worship Jesus. You're so excited to be there. And you look over your shoulder and you see the backside of that same sign. And it says, chosen from the beginning of time. Do I know how those two truths work together? I'm not sure my mind can fully understand that. Am I willing to trust that God can do that however he pleases? Absolutely. God's always known that some would accept him, some would, object, some would reject him. You look at the very first family. By the way, when we were teaching parents last weekend, I was just reminded, you know, it's easy to get off track, isn't it? That first couple, the first parents... They had a perfect circumstance, the Garden of Eden. They had a perfect daddy, God the Father. 
And they still rebelled. Then they experienced revival. They got back right with God. They had children, Cain and Abel. Guess what? One accepted God's way, one rejected. Get on into the biblical story. You see Abraham's children. Isaac accepted, Ishmael rejected. You continue in the story. Jacob accepted, Esau rejected. God's always known that there would be some who would not respond to him. There's a third proof. Paul says, hey, this is what Scripture teaches. The best source of our questions about Scripture is what? Scripture. Look in God's Word. Man, as, as we live out life in our house, you know what we've always taught our, per, our, our children? The purpose pack? When we have life questions, we just ask this question. What does the Bible say? Most of the things we wonder about and we worry about, the Bible has already spoken about. So he refers back to Scripture, and he, he tells a great story. Now look at verse 2. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know what Scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he appealed to God against Israel? Lord, they've killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I'm the only one left. Now they're trying to kill me. And what was God's answer to him? I've reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to bell. So too, at the present time, there's a remnant chosen by grace. Now, I want you to understand this. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. 1 Kings 18, Elijah experiences great victory. He's a prophet. He needs God to show himself, and God does. So Elijah, one man, stands before 400 false prophets and another 450 false prophets, so 850 false prophets, and God gives him victory. So much so that the evil king, our, our queen Jezebel, Matter of fact, when I say the name Jezebel, I really feel like you should respond. So I'm going to say that again, and I just want you to boo when I say Jezebel. The evil queen Jezebel, yeah, that's right. So Jezebel was so mad that she sent word to Elijah. <laughs> she sent word to Elijah and said, um, okay, you think you're so tough? I am going to wipe the earth with you. In other words, I'll take care of you. You're going down. So here's Elijah who experienced great victory. Everything was wonderful. And just after that, he finds himself depressed. And, and I've just experienced in my Christian journey, that's not unusual. Sometimes it's in those moments that you've experienced the greatest victories of God. That after that, the enemy wakes up and he comes after you with everything he's got. And so... Elijah went and he, he laid down under what the Bible calls a broom tree. And he prays what I call depression's prayer. You know what depression's prayer is? Lord, I just want to go to heaven. Just bring me home. This world's killing me. And then he falls asleep. And then the Bible says that a messenger of the Lord kind of taps on his shoulder and says, Elijah, get up. Here's some... Here's some food, and here's some water. And so Elijah just gobbles it up. He's just, he's not only depressed, he needs to be refreshed. And then he goes back to sleep. And a little while later, the Bible says that the messenger wakes him up again and says, all right, here's some more food, and here's some water. So Elijah takes that, and then he goes on this long journey. And he journeys to this mountain, and it's the same mountain that God met Moses in the burning bush. 
And so Elijah's thinking, all right, maybe God's going to show up. And, and so this earthquake happens, and he looks around to see if God's in the earthquake. No God. And, and, and then like a tornado-type wind comes by, and where's God? Is he in this wind? No God. And, and, and then a, a fire comes by, just like with Moses. I mean, that makes sense, right? Maybe God's going to show up in the fire, but there was no God. And while he was looking for God in the shock and the awe, God showed up in the still and the small. And you know what he said to Elijah? Elijah, um, what are you doing here? And and so just for the record, I I think some of us, let's just be honest. If, If we heard an audible voice of the Lord today, he'd probably be getting in our face and saying, what are you doing here? What, why have you let it come to this? You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. Be encouraged by The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. Weekday mornings at 9, here on Faith Talk Tampa. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.